Let's just pray. Lord, we come to such passages as this and and we we struggle to be able to do justice to them. Lord, they speak of such glorious things. We ask that you would come and be with us now as we look into your word, that you would speak to us, help us to, to hear, help us to listen. Speak to us individually and speak to us together. Lord, we ask that you would draw close to us now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Governments and businesses don't like their plans being leaked in advance of their proper announcement. Instead, they like to be in control of the flow of news about their plans. They announce them only when they have them finalised and they're ready. A few months ago, there was news that Downing Street is planning to to overhaul the NHS, how it is run with reforms which would reverse controversial changes which David Cameron's government brought in. But the news was not planned, it was leaked. The leak was a mistake. There are many examples of leaks, most of them unintentional, most of them where somebody thinks, I've got some information that other people need to know or... For whatever reason, they want to share the information which ought not to be shared. Sometimes though governments and businesses put out, deliberately put out a leak because they're unsure of what direction to go in. And so they put out a leak that maybe they're going in this direction and if it goes down well, if there's a good public reaction, they go in that direction. But if the leak turns out to have such a backlash, they think, okay, well, we ought not to go in that direction. Let's Use plan B instead. But generally speaking, (coughs) when a government or a business puts out a leak or information is leaked, it's unintentional. They don't want things to be leaked. They want to keep the information secret. They want to be in control. During World War II, when the German Enigma Code, the code that was used to, to make their messages between... The, the those in control in the army and the navy and and so on the code that that made their messages secret so that even if the british or the americans could intercept the code they couldn't make sense of it the enigma code was cracked by those in bletchley park in england and yet they kept that a secret for many years they didn't want that information to leak out that they knew they could read the German signals. They didn't want the information to be leaked. They had gained an advantage. And if that information was leaked, the Germans would change their code, they'd lose their advantage. During World War II, many people didn't know about the progress that had been made in such things. They didn't know what was going on other than what they could see in front of them. The war was a mixture of bad news and not so bad news, but they didn't see anything changing. They didn't see much changing. They didn't see how the war would end. 
there were ships being sunk in the convoys in the North Atlantic. There was maybe a bit of a, an encouragement on one front, but a discouragement on another. The average person had a little idea of how the war would end. It just seems to be going on and on with no victory in sight. No end in sight anytime soon. In many respects, the, the letter of Revelation was written to a church, to the people of God, almost 2,000 years ago in a similar situation and to us as well in a similar situation. We see the battle between good and evil. We see the plans of God promised, but we don't see much happening. When we look at what's happening in the news and in the lives of people we know, in our own lives at times, we see that evil seems to prosper at times. People get away with things they shouldn't get away with. Good is opposed and things which are wrong are promoted. Where's the sense? What's happening? It doesn't look as though the Lord is winning at all. The early church, the church that John was writing to, was struggling with persecution and the threat and the fear of persecution. It didn't look as though the Lord was victorious. When will we be free? Is there a plan? Is God winning the plan? Or is it just a battle between him and the devil and we don't know who's going to win? Well, thankfully, God tells us in his word, and we know from past experience that it's not a a battle of two heads and the outcome is uncertain. We know that God is almighty. He is sovereign. He is in control. The devil thought that Jesus dying on the cross was his great victory, but God had allowed it. God had planned it. Jesus had deliberately gone to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And by his death on the cross, by his suffering for sin, he gained a victory over sin. By his resurrection from the dead, he gained a victory over death. Even though the enemy thinks he's winning, he doesn't realize he's being defeated. During World War II, the average person wasn't allowed to see the plans that the Allied forces, the Allied generals were quietly putting in place to go back into Europe, to to go back into France, to invade Europe and to liberate it. The plans for the Allied forces going back into Normandy to defeat the Nazis were a closely guarded secret. Those in power went to extreme lengths not to allow any of the plans to be leaked. They didn't want the Germans to get wind of what was in store, what they were planning. Not only were they going to go across to France in great numbers, in great power, in great strength, the crucial element was the element of surprise, that the Germans didn't know where were they going to land and when were they going to land. If the Germans had known what was going to happen and when, they would have put their forces in place to oppose them and the outcome may not have been victorious. The problem with the information being leaked is that it would compromise the results. 
would compromise the outcome. Victory would not be guaranteed. They needed to keep their plans secret to have a chance of winning at all. However, there's one large-scale plan where leaking information about the outcome is not going to change the outcome. It's not going to endanger the outcome. There's one secret plan that's been leaked to the world which does not give the enemy greater power by it being leaked, which does not put the outcome in jeopardy. And it's God's plan to save humanity. In the Bible we read various prophecies of the end of this world, where the evil will be defeated, where the devil and his demons will be defeated. They'll be cast into the lake of fire forever. Sin and evil will no longer be a threat to humanity. Suffering and sorrow will be no longer part of our experience. They'll be consigned to history. The singing, the dancing, the rejoicing at the end of World War II will be nothing in comparison to the joy on that day when the Lord comes back and has the final victory over all things. He will defeat his enemies finally. He will bring righteousness, joy, peace, holiness to a renewed world. And we will be liberated. The creation will be liberated forever. How can we know that this will happen? We know it because it doesn't depend on us waiting to find out who is the winner. The outcome is not up in the air. The outcome is already guaranteed. We read it in God's word. The book of Revelation teaches us, as the title to our series, we shall overcome because Christ has overcome. We already know that he has won. God always was in control. Even when sin entered the world and disaster occurred, it wasn't a surprise to God. It was part of his plan. He allowed it. We brought it in. We're responsible for our own sin. God is sovereign. He is almighty. And he has a plan. He is working together all things for good. And one day we will see the the fulfillment of that plan. And to encourage us, we're given insights, we're given leaked information in God's word as to what the outcome is going to be. We can see the end already. It hasn't occurred yet. It's in the process. And Revelation, Revelation is is part of the prophecies that are contained in God's word that tell us, that assure us that the outcome is secure. Humanity once had a leader, Adam, but he messed up. He was deceived by sin, as Romans 7 verse 11 tells us. And death and suffering has become part of human life ever since. Seemed as though the devil had won the first battle. But he was allowed to do so. God has allowed in his sovereignty sin to come into the world for reasons which we can't fully understand. We're responsible, but he has allowed it. 
But what he's doing in the process, he's making a world, he's planning a world where there will be no more sin anymore, where, where we will not be able to mess it up anymore because we will have a new spirit and we will follow him. We will do what is righteous and good. God has a plan, a covenant of redemption, a plan of redemption. He will restore life under the perfect rule, not of an imperfect man, but of a perfect man, Jesus Christ. And God's calling many people to share in his wonderful victory. That's what the gospel message is. God has victory, and we can share in that victory if we trust in him. We will be forgiven our sins. We will avoid the punishment for our sins eternally in hell. We will begin the entry into his presence forever. And he gives us a glimpse of what a covenant community living in harmony should be like. The church is uh, a microcosm of what we will be like as the body of Christ in eternity. The local church is a small example. The community of Abraham's descendants, uh, the Israelites were meant to be an example to the world of what community under God would be like. We started off with one man and things went wrong. God later showed us what a community would be like of people following God, but it went wrong as well. They didn't follow him as they ought to. They kept wandering away. Yet despite their failure, the Israelites were, they provided a platform, they provided the means by which a single leader would emerge. A descendant of King David, one whose kingdom would rule forever. The promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And as time went on, as the prophets increasingly shared more and more leaked information, prophecies about what this leader would be like, we not only see that he would be victorious, but also that he would be a suffering servant, as Isaiah tells us. Instead of a failed human leader, whether it was Adam or any of the kings of Israel, a righteous leader was promised one who is worthy to receive all honour and praise. One in whom there is no sin or blemish at all. And he will bring people from, from all tribes, all languages, all nations, all cultures, all communities, all different classes or, or groups of people. And they will become one people under him one day creation all of creation will be freed from the corruption that it is seeing from the decay that it is seeing the environment will be saved God is the ultimate saviour of the environment that doesn't mean we shouldn't do what we can to preserve it now as good stewards of it but ultimately we have hope that he will renew it completely. The plant and animal kingdoms will be restored better than they ever were before. There'll be no more suffering or sorrow or pain for us any longer. 
How do we know it? Because God has leaked his information and his word to us deliberately. He is in control. All things are working together for the good of God's people. Romans 8.28 And nothing and no one will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.31-39 How do we know? Because scripture tells us. We see in God's word what is going to happen. And Revelation chapter 5 gives us details of that. In Revelation 5 we see glimpses of the final victory. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea they sang, Blessing and honour and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. Every living creature on earth, under the earth and in the sea, will be restored, renewed, giving glory to God. They won't literally sing. I've never seen a fish sing. <laughs> but it's a metaphor for the fact that all of the animals and the, the, the creation will be giving glory to God. It will rejoice in a sense in its renewal. But also, we read in Romans 8, verses 19 to 22, the same which Paul, looking forward, gives us another glimpse. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time creation is looking forward to its salvation and it will give God honour and praise it will in a sense sing but not only creation the angels in heaven will praise him too at the end of chapter 5 John talks about creation but before that he talks about the angels he records in his vision then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. They will sing God's praises in a mighty chorus. The angels in heaven, what a day that will be. Yet, before mentioning creation and the angels, before that, John has mentioned that not just creation, which has done nothing wrong in itself, or the angels, the fallen angels will be condemned, but the, the obedient angels before God, they haven't received salvation. They're just watching Jesus didn't die for them on the cross. But he died for us. 
as well as creation and the angels, John says that God's people will sing his praises. We read, And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. The 24 elders represent the people of God, as we saw last week. They symbolize the worship of Jesus as Savior. <clears throat> people from all nationalities, all cultures, communities and backgrounds and abilities. What a wonderful, joyful time that will be. So we praise God that not only has he got a plan in place, not only is, is the outcome planned in the, the counsel of God, but he has leaked the information of the victory to us. He has given us an insight. He's given us prophecies of what will happen. We know the outcome is secure. Sin and evil will be no more. Peace and prosperity Health and wealth in all its fullness will be ours. Jesus said he has come to give us life abundantly, life to the full. We will have it completely then. We have it in part now, but not yet the fullness of it. But then we will have it in its fullness. Just like the church that John was writing to, just like people in the middle of World War II who were struggling, seeing a never-ending cycle of bad news and some good news but not enough. Sometimes our daily Christian life can feel a bit like that too. Sometimes the church can feel beleaguered, struggling in a hostile world. We see sin, we see things happening that ought not to happen. We see Justice not being put in place. We struggle. And we wonder what's happening. If that's how you're feeling. Then I would encourage you to look to God's word. To see that he has given us a glimpse of the final victory in Christ Jesus. Lift your eyes to heaven. Look at Jesus. Look at the victory which is to come. Look at the millions of angels who are praising God already and who will on that day praise him for all that he has done. We look forward to a renewed creation. We look forward to new bodies for ourselves and all who have fallen asleep in Christ. We look forward to a church, to the people of God, where we will be gathered together as the prophecy to Abraham was, that they will be like the, the grains of sand on the shore. Too many to count. 
like the stars in the sky, not just the one we can see with our eyes, but the ones that we can see the millions and millions with telescopes. There will be millions and millions of people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. His people giving honour and praise, enjoying being with him, enjoying giving glory to him. So the outcome is secure because God is almighty. And giving us the information doesn't make the outcome any less secure. It just encourages us. So God is encouraging us here in his word and in Revelation chapter 5. And showing us what the final outcome is going to be, giving us a sneak preview of the worship in heaven. John isn't just giving us the facts as a statement that we might read like in the news. We just get the bare facts sometimes. Instead, what we have in Revelation chapter 5 is God's information about his victory leaked to us in the form of a drama, in the form of a vision. Continuing on from the vision of chapter 4 where John saw the the marvellous and glorious throne of God where he's worshipped as holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We see in Revelation chapter 5 a drama unfold within this vision. John looks and sees a scroll with seven seals. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll and it was sealed with seven seals. The parallel with Daniel chapter 7, it's worth reading, Daniel chapter 7, as well as parallels with Ezekiel chapter 2, Daniel 12, Isaiah 29, but mostly Daniel chapter 7, point towards this scroll being associated with judgment. The Old Testament passages about God coming in judgment at the end of this age, the end of this world, are so common in the Old Testament. People will be judged for what they have done and God will be victorious. For example, a couple of verses in Daniel 7. I watched as thrones were put in place and the Ancient One sat down to judge. He sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. The books were opened. In Revelation 20 we read of books being opened where everything that we have done will be brought into, brought up as evidence before God, brought into the light on the judgment day. But also there's the book of life and all who have trusted in Christ, their names are written in it. The scroll in Revelation 5 pictures this judgment of God. Opening of the books, bringing out the evidence in the judgment. Some commentators understand the scroll to be different things, such as Jesus being the one who can unlock the meaning of the Old Testament. But those seem really unsuited. They don't seem to fit well with what has been spoken of here and the parallels with Daniel 7. 
It seems that what has been spoken of here is not the ability of Jesus or the significance of Jesus in fulfilling or unlocking the Old Testament and what is difficult to understand in it. But that what is spoken of here is the judgment day, the opening of the books of evidence, the opening of the scroll. Yet, who is worthy? Who is worthy to judge? John writes, And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. John's weeping is part of the drama, the the announcement who is worthy is part of the drama, part of the vision that tells us that none of us is worthy to sit in judgment of anyone else. None of us is worthy because we have all sinned. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When John looks around at from the first from the first person ever created he doesn't see anyone who's righteous no one can open the scroll and he's not looking at the Lord Jesus at the moment the drama is to show us that there's none of us is worthy but then the angel says one of the 24 elders says to me, the, angel, the elder said, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. There is a man who is worthy, a descendant of David, the one who is in line to the throne of David, one to whom David's throne actually points towards one to whom the priests in the Old Testament temple sacrifice point towards, the one who the kings point towards, the one who the prophets point towards, Jesus, our prophet, priest and king. Jesus is the only one who has never sinned and he is worthy. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the twenty-four elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. And he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. One commentator, Bale, helpfully summarises that the theme of this chapter is that Christ, as a lion of the tribe of Judah, overcame by being slaughtered as a lamb. This is confirmed from from chapter 5, verse 9, where the slaying of the lamb, together with his redemption of people and establishing them as a kingdom of priests, kingdom and priests, is is a basis for his worthiness and thus also for his overcoming. Christ had victory over death 
when he rose again from the dead. But it's significant that here his worthiness is not based upon his victory over death, but what he did on the cross. He offered himself on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. He suffered in the place of all who would trust in him. He took sin upon himself. He became the sinner on the cross. In the temple, the lamb would be offered as a sacrifice for sin. And yet we know that from Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs would never in themselves take away sin. But what they did was they gave us a visual understanding. They showed out in the drama of the Old Testament temple sacrifice that there was one sacrifice for sin, that of the Lord Jesus on the cross. They were a visual illustration, a visual aid to what the cross was all about, where the real victory was won. He is worthy because of what he did on the cross, we're told here. He is victorious because of what he did on the cross, we're told here. And he alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the worship and praise of all creation, of all the angels, of all God's people, is dependent on the sinless Jesus Christ, having lived a perfect life, offering himself on the cross, and then rising again from the dead. It's what he did, it's what he, who he is, that is the basis of all our salvation, of what God has done in his Son for us. The focus here in Revelation 5 is on Jesus being worthy because of the cross, his sacrifice on the cross, and because he ransomed people for God by his blood shed for us. And he's made us a kingdom of priests who will reign on the earth. We have access to God the Father, not only the high priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year into the very presence of God, not only one person doing it, as a representative of the people. But each of us now can come into the presence of God like the priests did. And we will reign on the earth with him. He will be victorious. He is victorious. But he will come and he will reign on the new earth. And we will share in that reign with him. He is worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered. And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy. Blessing and honour and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Victory is ours if we trust in the Lord Jesus because victory is his. We will overcome because he has overcome. 
the outcome is secure. We know what the end of the, the story is. We have the information leaked to us in advance. We can be assured it's not undetermined. Battles still need to be waged, but the war has already been won. The scrolls will be open, but the end game still needs to be played out. God is gathering together his people from all tribes and nations. He's still gathering them together. He is still putting his enemies under his feet. But victory is guaranteed. It is ours in Christ Jesus. He will open the seals and judge the world. As Paul tells us in, as Luke tells us in Paul's words in Acts 17.31. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. We have enough information to know that Jesus is worthy. We have God's word. We have the evidence of history. We know the outcome. There's no reason not to trust in him. There's every reason to be encouraged in him. If you're a believer, keep your focus on Christ. We are victorious in him. We are victorious in the long term. And we can be victorious in our own lives over sin when we walk in the strength of the Spirit, when we walk in the strength of Christ in us. If you haven't trusted in him already, well, we ought to. We ought to trust in him and be on the victor's side. In a war, it's not a very commendable thing to switch sides depending on who you think is going to win. But in this, it is the only sensible thing to do. To go and, and, and suffer eternal punishment for our sin. Let's not go in that direction. Let's switch sides. Let's give our allegiance to Christ. Let's become part of his people. Let's trust in him. Let's be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Simply by placing our faith in him. And all blessings flow from that. Once we do that, we have the joy and the peace and the assurance of knowing that we're on the victor's side. And he is with us to the end of the age, even now. Praise God for such great salvation. And the four living beings says, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. That's how we should respond as well. Amen. Let's worship him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you and we worship you. You're almighty God. You're the one who is worthy. And yet, you're the one who is accessible to us. We come to you now by faith. We come to you now in the righteousness of Christ. We come to you now because of your love for us, your great love for us, your mercy towards us, your grace towards us. Lord, help us to, to be encouraged by your word. Help us to be strong when we're tempted to, to give in. Help us to be strong when we're tempted to sin. Help us to look forward, Lord, to, 
to, to see you victorious. Help us to be victorious over sin in our own lives as we trust in your strength, as we walk in your spirit. Lord, we thank you for what you have given us in your word, glimpses into the final victory. Lord, we don't know all the details of how it will come about, but we know the outcome, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your encouragement to us. Help us to walk in the light of that now. In Jesus' name, amen.